0: Hello there, and welcome to Making Way Podcast, a podcast about finding your own path in life. We're sharing stories to show you that life can be how you want to live it and not how you're supposed to. I hope this show will encourage you to live a life that reflects who you are and a life you love. When you think about who you are, there are probably multiple versions of yourself. There is work you, home you, 20-year-old you, relationship you, Sasha Fierce you. We are ever evolving as we discover new parts of ourselves and as we experience new things in life. For example, they say having children is something that changes you and reveals a lot about you. Now, I can't speak for myself because I do not have children, but I have definitely seen this change in my friends. My friends who became moms were highly motivated by their careers, but since having children, a lot has come into question, and their careers are on the chopping block for the first time in their lives. Admittedly, I had a specific audience in mind for this episode, working moms, but it really is for everyone. Life happens to all of us and things change, we change. So how do we navigate all the changes and not lose ourselves, but find more of ourselves? Tina was the first person who came to mind when I developed this episode. Tina is a marketing executive who is someone who I regard highly because of how she carries herself as a person. She has a rich career history and reputation, so I had to ask her, how does someone who is highly engaged in their life and their career craft a life as a mother of three girls, become a missionary, and climb the corporate ladder? This is a wonderful conversation that follows a twist and turns of Tina's life and how she stitched a thread that is a through line that connects all her experiences so far. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So I honestly I've I've really been eager to talk to you. Um for I mean, I think I've reached out probably a while ago too, but because I've I've known you from afar m- mainly. Right, right. You know, and obviously, you know, we have mutual friends where they can, you know, really vouch for you too. But I mean, I, I, I mean, from like when I first like heard about you, I mean, I think I've always been just so intrigued because A, the fact that you're, um, you know, a career woman and like really into business, and I don't know, like everyone would always just say like like Tina knows um, (laughs) business and like go to her or talk to her, like your PR campaign. I mean, your name has come up in (laughs) so many conversations like that, and then like you're raising four girls or three girls, three Three girls. And then like you guys went to missions, but like, you know, you're still like doing work over there and I don't know. So your story to me is very intriguing. I just always wanted to kind of like, like know what was going on inside your head. So hopefully we can get a little bit of that today. Um, But before we, before we get into all that, um, you know, just would love to hear your story, where you're from, how you got to where you are today, and then we'll just take it from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I
1: grew up in the Bay Area. Um so San Francisco Bay Area, kind of right at the moment of Silicon Valley booming. My parents both worked in tech. So I grew up the daughter of an immigrant, you know, two immigrants, and it was really drilled in me that we were here to take advantage of as many opportunities as we could have and to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I think for my parents, it was really around making a difference in like their children's lives. But for me, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just something I was born with or just sort of the way I grew up, but I really grew up feeling like I had an obligation and a responsibility to make a difference in this world. So like Mm -hmm. I grew up with this like kind of a a big concept for probably at the time, an eight year old, where I just wanted to leave the world a better place than when I Mm -hmm. came. So like this concept of legacy was really ingrained with me from the beginning. And I saw how my mom, she was this, like, corporate woman in finance, Asian immigrant woman, and she was, like, climbing the ranks really fast. And then she hit this glass-slash-bamboo ceiling really hard. So hard. She, like, switched to different companies. They gave her so much responsibility, and she could never get past that title of director. And I remember being so upset on her behalf because she was incredible, and mm. she was great what she did. She was great at managing people. They clearly thought that she was capable because they kept giving her more and more responsibility, moving her to different places around the world where she could lead whole like countries and regions. Um, But they would never give her that um, extra boost in title. So I think somewhere along the lines growing up between this idea of like wanting to make a difference and seeing kind of in my mind, the injustice laid before, you know, my mother and her career, I guess I had it kind of oddly intertwined in my head that I wanted to make a difference and the way mm. to do that in this world was to get to as high of a title as fast as possible and so mm. that kind of drove I think a lot of my early young adult years decisions um <clears throat> and everything from the school I chose to go to I really wanted to go somewhere which was like a, you know a I wouldn't call like a prestigious school but just a known name school so I went to UC mm-hmm. Berkeley which was fantastic a good school <laughs> Truly, honestly, it was a a complete blessing and it Mm. really has opened doors for me in so many ways. I learned so it was talk about humbling. Mm. Like I remember going in there my freshman year and just not realizing the caliber of talent that was there Mm. and not realizing how hard I'd have to work to achieve the same level of you know, school success that I had in high school, even though I, I thought I went to a good high school. I thought I did well there. Um, so that was just sort of a really good entry ground, I think, to like mm-hmm. the rest of my life. Um, anyways, yeah. So from a career perspective, I, you know, from there I launched, I went into um, consulting. I worked for Ernst mm-hmm. & Young for five years. Mm-hmm. Super mm-hmm. incredible experience. Everything from just just really good training. Like I, I mm. still... I'm so thankful that my first two big jobs that I had were at like really large companies because they had the structure and the process yeah. to teach you quote unquote the right way to do things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then when I have that very clearly in my head, I see what success can look like. Now like my passion in my heart is actually working with smaller, anything from startup to mid-sized companies, helping them to scale. And it doesn't mean that we bring all that big company process into them, but it's I know kind of the playbook, of the way. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I pull from that toolbox to say, okay, this works for you. Right. Mm-hmm. But anyways, going back to them. I really thought, yeah, like I said, get the, get the title as fast as you can. You're going to make a difference in this world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, and things went sideways really fast because I had in my mind, you know, this plan, my master life plan was that I was going to get a job five years, go back to business school, get another job, rise in the ranks. And then, you know, when I found a little bit of success, you know, professionally, then I was going to get married, of course, immediately because I would have had time <laughs> to have a personal life, get married and pop out some kids and then come back to my job. But I ended up marrying somebody that I knew from college, which was lovely because like, he's been by my side from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I got married at 26. So kind of like threw my whole like life plan out of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) had kids way earlier than I expected my first at 29. And so then it just interrupted what I had in my mind as my life plan. So I think Mm. That is something that is probably the best thing that has ever happened to me. I always getting used to joke. married
0: or the disruption? Like all of that.
1: it, everything getting derailed, you yeah. know, like I used to joke, I'm like, God saved me from myself and my own plans by like sending me a life partner, by having kids that basically took a lot of the things that I thought I could control like out of my hands. And that has been like the most, I think, life altering thing for me to mm. to truly be forced to reprioritize what's important in life um and to let go not to say let go of dreams per se but to let go of maybe like false promises that i made not so much made to myself but false ideas that i had about what what making a difference in this world could look like so
0: mm. what um, what was um you 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 said that uh god derailing kind of your life plans like i guess help re balance you in some way. Like what specifically for you?
1: I think of two things in particular. One is when, after I had my second kid, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it just, the order of magnitude by which you lose control of anything in your life is is completely insane. And so I think that was a really big turning point for me to know that you can still have a really fulfilling life, but not be in control of every last aspect of it. And, um, and so it was after about, when she was about a year old is when I decided to take a small break and work part-time instead of full-time. I worked for a church. Um, and honestly, professionally, I was so embarrassed. I was like, oh, you know, I, I'm this career person. I still, this is what I want to do. This is what I love. But I thought, you know, I am going to lose my mind. Like I cannot keep this up. She didn't sleep through the night till she was 18 months. So I was going on sleep deprivation, trying to manage at the time. It was a $180 million business for Neutrogena. Um, their entire sun care line, you know, in the U.S. was a significant business and um, a significant amount of work, but also trying to keep two young humans alive and like, not get divorced just a lot. So <clears throat> I decided, okay, I'm going to take go go part time in a way that you know still feels meaningful. So I'm working for a church which feels very like meaningful to me and I'm going to make a difference still. The kind of that that thread line in my life, um, I'm still engaging my brain, you know, I'm still being able to do something productive, um, and that kind of started my career path going all sorts of ways. Like it was no longer the straight, you know, path up as I had always imagined. And I ended up going from like there to, as you mentioned, we went overseas. I worked um, as a general manager for a restaurant chain, a cafe chain out there that helped um, victims of trafficking be able to reintegrate into society. So that felt really meaningful, but it was a huge job as well. So then I stayed in the food and beverage industry for a little bit. When we came back to the U.S., I was with the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, um, managing marketing and product development for all of their um, stores and franchisees uh, globally, so that was fantastic. got back into beauty. So my career path has been all over the place, but I think what first allowed me to even feel comfortable exploring all of that was having my second child kind of losing control and realizing, you know what it's okay, the world's not going to end if you don't get that next promotion, if you don't, you know get there sooner or faster than anybody else because there are so many other opportunities to make a difference in meaningful ways that don't necessarily come attached to a title. So I think that was the first thing. And then the second thing was when we were in Cambodia, the last two years that we were there, I suffered actually from pretty debilitating migraines. So um, we went to see, you know, medical experts all over the world. And in the end, they couldn't find anything wrong with me other than stress, you know, um, environmental stress, cultural stress, like just different things. And so that was one of the reasons we decided to move back to the States. But that whole period in my life just made me realize, again, how grateful I should be and could be every day to wake up without pain. Because since then, you know, I I mean, I went through two years of where I really thought I'm never going to have another day without pain again. And so I sort of of resigned myself to that. And it was very debilitating. Like I ended up having to quit entirely for about a half year, um, you know, which is depressing in and of itself. But um, I just, I had a lot of trouble being able to feel like I was making a difference in, in my life, in anyone's life. I remembered... I would give myself one task a day that I, if if I could have lunch with one person, if I could like bring my kid, go physically to pick my kids up from school and bring them home and like engage with them, like that would be my one thing a day. So I also like, I think took down the scope of like making a difference in this world, like making the world a better place all the way down to if I could just do one thing each day to somehow engage with people, like that's enough. That's enough to make a difference. I think between, like like I said, losing control and letting things kind of go off the, the path that I had laid for myself and then sort of re-scoping what does it look like to make a difference in people's lives and to make a difference in this world, those two things have really helped me now that I am privileged enough to work full-time in a job that I love, to have children in a fulfilling personal life. I don't feel so attached to things like titles and to things like... Uh, you know, PR newsworthy impact anymore. I really do look at it it's like on a daily basis, like in what ways can I engage with people who happen to me in my circle, in my sphere, in my orbit? And, you know, how can I make a difference? And that's super meaningful. Now, so,
0: you know, because you had this realization of wanting to make an impact when you were young, how did it like, why did you choose? business or management and like like how did yeah how did you see yourself making an impact in that way
1: honestly it's just I was good at it um mm. I went into I went into college as many do thinking I would be pre-med because of course what better way to make <laughs> many an did I did was, not
0: go to college thinking I was going to be pre-med
1: <laughs> that's
0: just you so, um, <laughs>
1: Okay, so just me, but I was like, what better way to make an impact and make the world a better place by right. than by saving lives? Right. Right. So I went and went in and you know, I took some pre-med courses and I got through them, but I was really bad at it. Like it took so much effort. Like my husband's doctor, and the ease with which he passed and could get through those classes. Made me so angry. We were just friends at the time. (laughs) I was really annoyed at him, but I realized really quickly. Oh, I am not good at this, and there's got to be something else better for me. So, I mean, truly, like I took like econ on a fluke because my mom was in business. So I'm like, all right, just to like make her happy, I'll take econ, and I loved it. Like I loved everything about it. So, um, yeah. So I just sort of fell into it. I I think that's something I've, I've learned along the way is that you know, not everyone is good at everything. And that I really do believe in like the fit of the person with whatever it is with their life or a job or, you know, friend circles and partners is about fit. It's not that, oh, you're not good enough. It's just that like, that's not the right thing for you. So I kind of fell into business and yeah, I sort of fell into like my entire career path because it, I happened to be good at it. And, um, you know, I was, I was happy to, to continue learning. So I mean, now my current my current role is in beauty and I love beauty. And so that has just been a really nice um, opportunity to be able to meld things that I'm good with. to basically merge things that I'm good at with things that I really just enjoy personally. So
0: clearly your career and your mission as a person has been very important to you since you were young, college, you know going to a big consulting firm, all that stuff. So it's funny because I, you know, one of the reasons why I reached out to you was because this is like a common conversation I'm having with a lot of my girlfriends right now, which is, you know, everyone has a career, kind of like the same path. You know, they went to college, you know, you know, either knowing they wanted to be a certain, um, you know, have a certain career or fell into it and like you know, really love their jobs and their careers. And then they got married and now they have young children. And it's the first time where they're like, you know, my career isn't everything, you know, where once that was everything, you know, and I need to climb up and move up and all this stuff. And now, not that I, what I get from my friends and I'm speaking on behalf of people because I don't have children or I'm not married. But, um, what I'm seeing is like, for the first time they're thinking, well, you know, these people who are career driven women thinking, well, maybe like my job isn't everything. And it's like, it's like from people I would never expect to hear that from. Yeah. And so you never know
1: until you have, you're faced with that situation.
0: Right. Exactly. So, I mean, I guess I'd love to hear more about, you know, kind of that point where you said when you had your second and that's when I guess like shit hit the fan a little bit. Um, like what what were you do you remember like what you were thinking or feeling during that time? I mean, I, I don't I don't want to speak
1: for your friends, um, and presume to know how they're feeling, but sure. I felt very defeated. Like I said, I felt mm-hmm. embarrassed. I didn't really want to tell any of my professional contacts that I was taking a break for my mm-hmm. mental health and mental health wasn't even a thing back then. Right. So I just felt like I had lost and I had to give up on what my dreams were. Mm. So I remember, I mean, ever the marketer, I remember pitching it like, Oh, I'm helping this, you know, m- you know, growing church and it really scale and like set up operations. Blah, blah. I mean, I, I put all of the business lingo on it to yeah. sort of justify it to myself yeah. and to them, like, why I was making this step. But inside I just felt super defeated. Mm. Um and I knew it was the right decision for for me and for my family, but I really did feel like it was a, a complete trade-off that I had to give up on my personal dream, my personal passion for the sake of my family. And I will say there was a small part of me in the back of my head that worried that I would regret it and I would be bitter and blame them. And I, I mean, and I I guess I'll bring up to one thing that's important that I'll revisit later in terms of like where I am now. But one thing that's been really important is just like who who you choose in life as a partner, right? It's such an important thing because their view on mutually supporting one another in your own personal like career aspirations is so critical and important. And I think at the time we were both really young. And I think we both had a very kind of binary way of thinking about it, which is, you can only love one thing the most. And so I think when, you know, he or I felt like we were working too much, we felt like it was this condemnation on our personal life, that that if you're working this much, that means that you love that more than you love us. And Mm. I think we both felt that. And at that time, um, I, I, I did what I had to do, because I believed it, he believed it, and we felt like, okay, so then to prove to everyone that I actually love my family the most, I'm going to take a step back from my career. Mm. But it still felt like a failure, you know. Um right. and I remember so many people at that time, I don't hear it quite as much now, but at that time it was like the reigning advice for any women that were kind of going through the same thing, which is that this is a stage in life and you're going to be able to accomplish so much over the course of your life, but not all of it all at the same time. Mm. And it's true, I will say, but I hated hearing it. I mean, yeah. if one more person said that to me, I was just going to like bop them in the face because like, can you stop <laughs> saying that to me? Because I, I don't want to believe it and I don't mm. uh, I don't accept that, right? But it kind of was true because at, at the end of the day, your physical body can only handle so much, you know? Um, And I actually remember this clicking for me after like a pediatrician appointment because with little kids as they grow, they hit different milestones, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll they're very visible from the outside. You know, they start walking, they start talking, but a lot of times it's actually internal development that's happening. And so you don't see it. And I remember the pediatrician explaining to me, the the body can only grow and develop in so many ways at one time. So it's your what's visible to you is going to come through in the stages but it's always growing. Something is always happening. Mm. You just may not see it. And so I remember that for me and, you know, maybe it was a stretch, but I applied it to myself and just to say, <laughs> okay, maybe this is my time to like grow in like these, you know, maternal ways to grow. Um, I don't know, in patience to grow and like learning how to withstand sleep depri- deprivation, whatever. Right. Um, and that my career growth can come at another time. Right. So for me I think that was a lot of you know what I was thinking at the time. And quite frankly I have a lot of girlfriends who I would have never in a million years expected to not go back. Like I thought for sure they're going to have their kids, when they're young and they're gonna, like take the career, you know, professional world back by storm and they still haven't come back and It is in no way a criticism of them. They've just found a way to channel that passion into not-for-profits that they founded, into like incredible ways that they're working with their kids' schools. Those just happen to be ways that I didn't find fulfilling, but there are so many different ways that you can channel that passion. It's just maybe we didn't know those were opportunities that we could have until we had kids and like looked a different direction.
0: Yeah. I feel like the tension right now is for the people I'm thinking about in particular is that you'll never have this time back with your kids. Like my career will always, like, I can always climb that ladder again and, you know, that'll always be there. But like the time with my kids, you know, it's like when they're one, when they're two, when they're going through all these like major changes like that, they'll never get this time back. But then at the same time, you're just like, I can't, because taking a step away from your job is also, it does set you back in terms of growth and moving up. And, um, and um, yeah, it, it's just, it, and that, you know, it's funny because you said before that like you felt so defeated. And I just feel like that's the sense I get from my friends. it's And it's the same point of like, you want to have it all, but it's like, you just can't have it all at the same time. And it's like, you expect so much from yourself of, you know, I got to do, Good at my job and I gotta like take care of my kids and then my family. And then it's like I'm burnt out. Why can't I manage all this? It's like, of course you can't manage all this. It's like too much for one person. I mean, I think and I didn't know this then.
1: It's really truly only hindsight is 2020. Yeah. I think the one I would actually it, it becomes a very emotional decision. But looking back now, I actually feel like we should encourage. The decision making process beyond just the emotion of it. Because to answer the question of, I'll never have this time back, that's true. But when they're one, and in the early years are incredibly important, don't get me wrong. But there are also a lot of times during the adolescent years that people feel like, oh, it's acceptable for me to go back now because they can take care of themselves physically. But emotionally, it has been so hard. And I realize now I'm just so grateful that. I mean, one of the positive externalities coming out of COVID was that I got to work from home and have a pretty, you know, demanding corporate job, but it means that I can be around for a lot of the emotional um, challenges that they have. And I realize now that if I were at the office all of this time, I would miss all of that. And so I actually think this is a time I will never get back. And I am so grateful that I can be there, whether it's to offer any kind of advice or just physically being there yeah listening being that emotional support so I don't know that it's fair to say oh you'll never have that time back and to prioritize or value more the early years versus like adolescent years because I actually now that I've kind of been through all the stages realize in some ways the adolescent years are more important it's weird it's a weird trade-off because you're not physically like you know getting them dressed giving them baths feeding them anymore but you are really a a support and a stability for them in a way that they'll never get outside of your house during these years. And and I'll never get those years back. So I think that's one thing where it's like, instead of making it such an emotional decision to just look at it like very rationally and say like, just financially, does this make sense? Right? Like career wise, does this make sense? Depends on the career. Like if you go into a profession like medicine, women can like pop in and out of that career easily. No problems, like because you can work as per diems, you can work, you know, part-time, you can work five hours a week indefinitely. You know, you can come back from five from not working at all as long as you're continuing to keep up your certifications, dive back into full-time. No one blinks an eye. Like it's not a big, so healthcare workers, I think it's a very different, distinct industry. Like for me, working in business, it's actually one of the hardest ones, I think, to come back into when you've taken a break, because quite frankly, supply and demand, there's a lot of other options out there. Um, and it is true that you need to have some recency on your resume, I think, to be able to come back, especially at higher positions. So my advice there is really just to stay engaged in whatever way makes your brain happy in whatever ways you can. And just to, to have that on your resume as like, whether you call it consulting, you founded your own, you know, advisory group, whatever. But, you know, I there's there's no shortage of places where you can be involved, whether it's not-for-profits or one thing I personally love is just being a part of, you know, friends in my circle who are doing for-profit startups. Like I love being a part of helping advise. And so you can add that to your resume to like close any gaps. <clears throat> and as someone on the other side who hires and interviews a lot of people who have taken gaps, I don't care. I don't care if they had to take five years off. What I care about is what did you learn in those years? You know, what are some takeaways that will now help my company from a professional standpoint, like what skills did you learn? There were so many free courses. Like I took some Coursera courses just sort of on my own because I was personally interested in some things. Those all count. Like I don't really care. I just want to make sure that they've had the right experience, that they have um, the right passion and curiosity for my business and for my industry. And a lot of like specific things, nobody's going to know. I'm going to have to teach them on the job anyways. It's going to be a six to 12 months. Right, season, Like ramp right. Up For someone yeah. new, regardless yeah. of if they sure. had 12 years of uninterrupted, you know, experience mm-hmm. or not.
0: I mean, for you, obviously so much of what drives you is impact. Like how do I make an impact in one, what shape or another? And that's obviously evolved over time. But I imagine that this, like, like you alluded to this a little bit too, is just the loss of prestige. Because if you say I worked at, you know, Ernst Young, like that's like, oh dang, fancy girl, you know. But like <laughs> if you're like, I work for this, you know, startup or I'm going to missions, like it, you know, obviously doesn't ring as fancy. So I guess um I'm curious to know what like what kind of values or like did you think that was gonna bring you versus realizing, oh, that that' having that title or that fancy, like, I don't know, office job just didn't give me what I thought it was going to give me. Like, did you have something like that for yourself?
1: I mean, maybe I'm an odd duck in the sense that I was so driven by like a personal purpose of wanting to, you know, driven by a personal purpose of wanting to make a difference, you know, in this world. So that was really enough. And quite frankly, I mean, I'm a marketer by profession, so I can spin it, you know. In terms <laughs> of, like, I don't. Nobody really cares that they've never heard of the company I worked for when I tell them, "Oh, we helped reintegrate you know, victims of trafficking so that they could have a meaningful right. impact in society again." Right? Like that—that mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is enough. And mm-hmm. so, um, as long as I pitch that, then it's fine. Um, mm. So I, I do think I do think being able to link what you're doing to a personal purpose or um, a life story or threadline is helpful to offset, I think, any prestige that you might have lost from, you know, big name companies, big name schools, things like that. I think that we're, as people receiving and hearing that information or reviewing that in a resume, that always resonates. That always feels meaningful. Um, when we're trying to hire people, we're not just looking for people who can check off skills on a, a competency list. We're looking for people who um, you know, find meaning in their work. We're looking for whole people, right? Not just people who who fit the skills list, but we're looking for whole people that want to come and be a part of a company mission and purpose. So, I think when I see people like that, uh, and again, perhaps it's because that's very meaningful to me. It does make a difference, and it it does not in any way prevent me from you know having a second look or interviewing them or hiring them, because I know that when when somebody is so committed to a mission and they happen to have the set of skills that I'm looking for, they're going to be such an incredibly valuable human resource, like an mm. h- incredibly valuable asset to my organization. Mm-hmm. So,
0: I, well, I mean, what were the discussions like between you and Albert in terms of um, making these kinds of major life decisions? You know, being a caretaker, mm-hmm. like a full-time caretaker, or like stepping down, and or, you know, all these things. Like,
1: That's a good question. And I mean, it kind of comes back to... What I was saying before about you have to be very careful about who you choose, I guess, as your partner. But did life. you
0: know when you chose Albert? Like, no, <laughs> no. I mean,
1: you're so right. Like, here's the thing: is I was, I was freaking lucky. Like, that's yeah. the bottom line. We talk about this. I'm. This is why I feel comfortable sharing with you. We talk about this all the time. That mm-hmm. we are not the same people that we married at age 26, mm-hmm. and we are both freaking lucky that we both changed in a way. That is compatible now, you know, because <laughs> otherwise I think we'd be here, you know. Um, when we got married, you know, he was very much of the view that, yeah, I have this career now, yeah, make a difference, you know, super smart, I'm so proud of you. But once we have kids, you, you got to stay home with them because that's your first love. Mm. And he didn't say those things explicit to me, but like that is what came through when we would fight, you know, after I had the kids and realized, oh, he really, that's what he, and then, like I said, you know, I, Felt like I believe that myself too. So I'm like, if I really love my family, then I'm going to take a step down too. But I think we both just didn't realize the impact it would have on me and like, quite frankly, my soul, like my spirit to not get to do what I really loved and was good at. And so, um, you know, after a couple of years of working part time, after a couple of years of being in Cambodia, he was just, he saw how depressed I got. And that he saw how hard I tried. He saw that I tried so hard to find meaning in, like, you know, my children's organizations and other not-for-profits. Like, I did all the things you're supposed to do. Like, I taught English. I, mm-hmm. like, created, you know, things. Um, I did luncheons with the ladies. Like, help, you know, I did all the things, check the box, that you're supposed to do yeah. as a fulfilled stay-at-home mom that's, like, supporting community, et cetera. And he just saw how depressed I was. Yeah. Um, and I don't even think I realized it till he pointed it out. And then I happened to, through my kid's school, meet the owner-founder of, like, this, you know, again, this for-profit restaurant chain that was helping, you know, victims of trafficking get reintegrated. And we had a conversation. They happened to be looking for a general manager for the entire country. Um, and, you know, he, like, hears about my experience, like, oh, would you be interested, blah, blah, blah. And Albert said that he just saw, the way my entire face body like lit up when Mm. I was retelling about the story. And he said like, that was like a very like pivotal moment for him. He's like, you have to do this. You have to do this. From that moment on, he was so incredibly supportive and he has become the partner that like you read in like books about that. Like, that's the ideal. And I just, if you, it was like night and day Mm. different from where we were before, like, When we moved back to the States, like in Cambodia, it made a lot of sense because childcare was so easy, so affordable. It really enabled me to be able to work at that level while having three young kids. You know, at the time, my youngest was only, you know, two and three. And so that's not something that would have been possible. That clearly wasn't possible when I only had two back in the States. But in Cambodia, it was so easy because we just had help everywhere. And the the workers there, the professional career people there, really highly valued family. So they actually considered it like this really welcoming thing for you to have your family with you at all times. And so Mm. I could bring my kids with me to work and like people would watch with watch them and play with them while I'm doing my work. So it it just made for an environment that was possible. So when we decided to move back to the states, honestly I was I wasn't sure. I'm like, okay, so is Albert only excited about me working because it kept me from being depressed when we're in this you know, third world country that I was far away from home and friends. When we go back, is he going to revert back into, oh, you should stay at home? Also, because both of our last experience when we were in the States was that this is not tenable. Like childcare is impossible. Like there's just no way. But we we're coming back, figuring out plans. And it was like, no, not a question at all. He was like, oh, you, you have, yes, you have to find a job because... I think one, he knew for my my mental health, you know, two, I mean, very practically financially, we needed two incomes to live in the US. But um, when people would ask him and ask us, like, we were with some really good friends of ours who were very well off. And they would say, I would ask me and they're like, he's a doctor. Why? Why are you working? And he yeah. would answer for me. He's like, because she loves it and she's good at it, why shouldn't she work? So the fact that he has now become like my biggest advocate mm. is is such a really big part of why I feel like I'm able to like do what I can do now.
0: What do you think uh, switched to Albert? I mean, obviously seeing you happy, but like, what he obviously had something in a preconceived notion of like who, what your role is going to be in in the family. Like, what changed for him in particular? I think
1: it was that whole mindset switch for both of us that it didn't have to be binary, that there is no hierarchy and ranking of who and what you love in your life that determines any value that you have on them, that you can equally love and be fulfilled by what you do and by your personal family, you know? And so I think Mm -hmm. the combination of him seeing sort of the impact it had on my mental health and just my personal fulfillment in life And the fact that he knew and he had seen that I can still absolutely love my family, my kids, and that quite frankly, I'm a better mom when I get to spend some time away from them. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of that is just a little bit of a mental break. But part of it is because I, you know, my mind is engaged and excited and I've got lots of ideas and, you know, they don't feel like they see me only as the caretaker. You know, I get to now engage with them, especially as they got older with, you know, um, like, Harry Potter and Percy Jackson and, like, just different, like, cooking, like, different mm-hmm. things that we can participate together mm-hmm. in versus, like, me always having to be the parent in a parent-child relationship. So I think him just sort of seeing all of that really just gave him the um, assurance that this is something that will actually be better for our family, not worse.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there also must have been so much fear for you in terms of, like, not knowing how the trajectory of your life is going to go? Because that's kind of, I imagine when you decided to kind of cut back from work, it's like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty. but in that moment, you can't, you can only see one or two steps ahead of where you're going. And I mean, what did you think your life was going to look like when you ended up making that decision?
1: That's a good question. I think I thought I would be relegated not that there's anything wrong with not for profits but to to more fields where they really couldn't get any other help you know and i do truly believe in you know not for profit organizations i think the The really lovely thing about my very windy career path is I have worked in so many types of organizations, like really huge Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, um, small religious organizations, not-for-profit, you know, um, social justice organizations, for-profit social justice organizations, you know, startups. So I've worked for so many and I've just sort of by trial and error realized that I am at my best when I'm in a for-profit organization, making an impact just with people there, um, and then spending my free time working with not-for-profits. And so I think that has been something that has just helped me um, with the trajectory of my life, but it's been very trial and error, and I didn't realize it at the time. And I think in every moment along the way, the trajectory felt very uncertain, but I don't know. Maybe it was a little bit of the whole like letting go to go of control of my life. My life plan was shot already, right? Like when I got married at twenty six, it's like I had to throw the whole thing out, anyways. Um, and I, I just sort of was taking it step by step, but it, it was it was a little hard to grapple with. You know, I think I tried to make up for it as much as possible by, like I said, like taking courses, trying to advise on the side whenever possible, just continuing to learn where possible. But a lot of my skill set and what I'm good at has to do with like team management, you know, and that's really hard to do on the side as a consultant, right? And so I've just been really fortunate as I've been able to step back into a real career path that I've just, I've been able to be a part of managing teams and, and, you know, sometimes doing it great, sometimes not doing it great and just learning along the way and being able to apply those learnings to each and every next opportunity.
0: I mean, how was your integration back into the States? Because I imagine like kind of like what you had experienced at Berkeley, which was maybe in high school, you were like big, big fish, small pond. And then you're like, oh, no, I'm like small fish, big pond. I imagine from going from Cambodia to L.A. is a little bit like that, too, of like, you know, Cambodia, I'm big fish. But then you come to L.A. and like every next person is the executive at some big, fancy company. No, you're so right. I mean, yeah, like in Cambodia, I was the big boss, what i had always aspired to be.
1: I'm like meeting with the ambassador, meeting with like all the like private equity, venture capital firms out there, out there like written up in press. Um, yeah. And then I came back lucky to find a job. And like, I got a job. I still remember as a senior manager, which I knew was like steps down from where I needed to be. But um, I was just so grateful to have a job and a paycheck. Um, it's kind of funny. It was less jarring, than I expected, maybe because the big boss job in Cambodia was so hard. Like I, I mean, I know everyone gripes about their boss or like the leadership at their company or whatever, but wow, it was so hard. Um, we had 125 employees, like the weight and the burden of knowing that 125, not just employees, but their families may not eat. If you make poor decisions was like really (laughs) heavy for me. Um, it was a very stressful job, just sort of having to carry the weight of all those, um, that responsibility and all those decisions. So in some ways, coming back to be sort of like a worker bee was a relief. You know, <laughs> Thank God I don't have to make the decision. But I will say, uh, you know, and, and just maybe because part of what I love, what makes my like soul thing is being able to just lead people well and help people see that to see people thrive. Um, that was really hard, not being in a leadership position, not being in, had to have a seat at the table where decisions were made because I would see poor decisions made or whether they were for business reasons or for, for employee, like people reasons, and it would just drive me crazy. So I I do think that was really hard. Um, very thankfully, because I was kind of underleveled coming in, I mean, I'll have people approach me all the time. They're like, how did you do it? How did you like go up three levels within two years? You know, how did that happen? And I, I don't, sometimes I don't really have a good answer for them. It's, it, it because it's not something that's parallel to their lives. It's not, you know, because I came in underleveled. And, and thankfully, I worked at a company where they were able to right level me quickly, based on, you know, business opportunity, and just sort of my skill set and what they needed. And that's not always going to be true for everybody. So um, but yeah, it was definitely it was an adjustment coming back to the US for sure, like the, the work style, like I said, the childcare was very different. Um And I I had to adjust because I had never been a mom of three, a working mom of three in the U.S. before. Mm -hmm. Took a little bit time.
0: So, what was like? What's what's the culture like in L.A. to be like a working mom versus Cambodia? Um,
1: It's it's a lot stricter in terms of the hours, um, face time in the office, um, needing to just sort of be there for any emergency that might take place. I, I would honestly expect that it would be the same today were it not for COVID and kind of the disruption that had to the entire, you know, working community. Um, you know, just we don't have prevalent childcare. Like I cannot afford, I could not afford a full time nanny. less when I could easily afford one in Cambodia, you know it's not something that i can easily like take my children to work with me you know um when they're sick or if they're out on vacation there's a plethora of things that they can do when they're on holiday in cambodia we had like 45 national holidays of which 3 of them came in week long spurts so it's like we're on vacation all the time you know it was like completely acceptable like that was just sort of the the norm whereas in the us you know we have 10 federal holidays that you take. And if you want one week long vacation, it's like you have to beg for it six months in advance. So it's just very business centric and not in any way like worker centric. And so that you just have to be able to support all of those extra areas of your life by paying for them. And sometimes they just don't exist.
0: You're, you have a very rich experience. I mean, like you said, very windy roads, a lot like experience with, you know, some of the best companies and then the smallest, like no name companies. And you lived in one of the poorest countries to now LA, which is the most luxurious city. Um, like how has your, I guess, like outlook on life evolved with everything you've kind of seen in your life? Maybe in terms of values or. Yeah.
1: I mean, I really do. I do still feel like every day I want to make a difference. And I do still feel like I want to leave this earth having somehow made it better than when I, before I got here. But I just think it doesn't need to be on as grand of a scale as I once thought. Hmm. Like, I think that making a difference can be super meaningful and impactful in just being there for a friend who is ha- having a hard time. Um, I think one of the reasons that I I do what I do is that I had observed in some of the organizations that I was with how much a bad leader could affect s- dozens, hundreds of people, how it could destroy their lives. And so I really st- one of the driving forces for me now is to seek to be a good leader, to almost kind of like find a way to restore. I I feel it's like my way to restore like what I've seen in my life, but um, to really try to have a positive impact for people to train up good leaders. Because I think from a value perspective, maybe the values haven't changed, but the scope and the manner in which those values can be achieved Mm. has changed, right? Like I, I feel really strongly about um, training up my my managers, training up my directors, training up anyone who's within my org, um, setting a good example from a mental health perspective. You know, helping them, leading them as as a as a boss in a holistic way, knowing that they're not just here about like a set of deliverables they have to give me at the end of the day or at the end of the month, but like mm-hmm. what other skills have they learned? You know, how can I help them thrive as a person, as an employee, like those are really important to me. And I'm realizing that those are really impactful ways that I can help make meaningful change. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think just time has helped me see that things that I did back in my early career days, that quite frankly, honestly, I don't remember, like, I don't remember sometimes these conversations I have with people that they'll come back to me 10 years later, and they'll say, Tina, I'll never forget this one <laughs> conversation. And they'll repeat back to me a conversation. That I, You're like, where God, do I, I don't you? remember. And I feel, no, like I know them, but I yeah. don't remember that. And I remember sure. the general sense of like being yeah. there and like going mm-hmm. through it with them. But, you know, and I also have the world's worst memory, but I don't remember yeah. the exact mm-hmm. words or that conversation, mm-hmm. but somehow that was meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. And some of that helped change some trajectory of their life. And so like, I think the more I get those stories, fed back to me, the more I realized, like, I may not remember it, but mm-hmm, <laughs> if mm-hmm. I can live every day in the moment of trying sure. to, like, do the right thing, you know, do right by the people that I lead, um, you know, and, and just help them in whatever ways that I'm equipped right. and have authority and power to do so, then it will make a difference. Yeah. And I may not be able to see it, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's been really fulfilling. Um, You know, I went from managing, you know, like, one person, two person for a while, I was sitting at around like 10 people. And then this year, just for various reasons at my company, I ended up getting promoted pretty quickly. And now I, I managed like 35 people under my umbrella, which I'd never done before. And I was terrified about, it. I'm like, I suck at this. Like, mm-hmm. I do not know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So then it, it like kind of vaulted me into another stage of like learning, like, how do you lead well? with impact when you don't get to personally have that conversation with people like every single day. And I'm still learning. Finally, I feel like I've found my footing a little bit um, in a positive way, but like that is how I feel like my values haven't changed, but I'm still trying to find ways to, to impact people every day.
0: Yeah. I mean, that really resonates with me because I've had my own share of experiences of just whether it's a bad leader or just a, you know, bad coworker. And I'm like, you know, I mean, there's definitely that feeling of like, ah, uh, we need to make really big changes and like change corporate structures because, you know, X, Y, and Z reasons and whatever. But I think similar to what you're saying, I definitely feel like, you know what, the the way I can make an impact is like, let me not be that asshole, you know, and like, yeah. as simply I love as that. that. Yeah. I exactly. <laughs> love it. So, let me not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let me not destroy <laughs> your life. Yeah, exactly. But like, I just feel like, you know, culturally, and I feel this in my own life, too, where it it, it probably all really comes to like down to a personal values thing. But, you know, just feel like even for me, like in this stage of life, I feel like, man, I gotta like, I don't know, hustle and like make my mark and like, you know, rise the ranks of life or whatever it might be, you know, and I don't know. Is that overrated? I mean, you're not like much older than me, but like, you know, I mean, I guess from what you've seen, your vantage point, I mean, is that just like not what we think it's going to be?
1: Yeah. I think it's such a rat race. And I I do also think living in the States, it's, it's just really hard. Like we do not make it easy to for the average everyday American to live a fulfilling life because of like cost of living. We don't have social support systems. You know, Mm -hmm. before I left for Cambodia, I was very apolitical. Not that I hated politics. I just was like not interested. It didn't seem to impact my everyday life. Mm -hmm. And when I, and I also quite frankly felt like the private sector could handle things better than the public sector from a government perspective. So I was just not really interested in anything to do with like government. Mm -hmm. When I moved to Cambodia, I realized, Oh, there are because the private sector was doing amazing things, NGOs doing amazing things, um, but they can only do so much without a systematic change in infrastructure that only the government can provide. So everything from like being able to create laws that um, can protect safe houses, that can shut down some of these businesses that run rampant in terms of creating. Um, an economic environment for why families are willing to sell their children into like this kind of trafficking, that you need that government support. So Mm. since I've come back to the States, I feel a a lot more, I think, affinity towards social change that also needs to start with government. Mm. And so, I mean, I guess that's one of the things that, for me, I feel like, I mean, it's it's kind of silly. Like I write postcards, I get involved in elections now, like silly things like that, but I feel like that is how I can also make a difference here. Um, mm-hmm. So I know this is a long way of answering your question, but I, I just think that we have to sort of give ourselves a break too, like knowing where we live is that we do not, as a society here in America, like make it easy for anybody, let alone a working or, or a mom with young kids to, to be able to thrive. Like, mm. period, you know? Mm. And then I think I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's a personal thing to say, like, well, what what does matter? One mm. of the um books I'm reading right now is called Atomic Habits. Yeah, and great book. Um, I love it. And I'm not mm. even all the way through, but there's an exercise in there where they talk about like write your own obituary, right? Like at the end of, of life, like what what is it gonna say? And I realized and I read some examples and I realized if I were to write mine, my title would not be on there. And yeah. so then I'm like, so then what am I doing? I mean, so truly my job is not worth it, even mm-hmm. with the title, even with the pay, blah, 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 unless I get to have, get some other meaningful you know, value out of it. And for me, that is like leadership, learning leadership, they're learning other marketing things which I genuinely enjoy yeah but otherwise it's not worth it so right. yeah like I, I I'm on TikTok all the time <laughs> I did it officially for work but then I got sucked into it because I really did <laughs> but um, and you know you see all the side hustles it's like do yeah. this you do this you could be earning $15,000 a month more and it's easy to get sucked in you think oh other people are doing this I'm not doing this I should be doing this but I have to check myself because my god like what are you left with at the end of the day? What is your obituary going to say? Like, she she had three side hustles and worked herself to death. <laughs> like, great. You know, it's like, that is so meaningless,
0: right? Um, right.
1: So yeah, I mean, I think taking down our quality of life is something mm-hmm. that we've been talked about a lot. It's that we we don't need to have a certain lifestyle that is sold to us through whether it's social media or even yeah. our friends group. You know, we we joke about how our friends are embarrassed when we drive up because like, we have like the crappiest car out of everyone, but it's because (laughs) we, we send our, we put our money, we invest in like experiences. So like food and travel, because we feel like that's what we want to And it's not any knock on anyone who chooses to invest their money in a car. Cause like, if that's what makes them excited, like do it, go for it. But it's just a matter of like, don't let other people dictate what you find important and valuable in life. Mm -hmm. And, Really hard for me to let go of that, but I think that when I'm able to, I I'm just I feel a lot better about my life, you know. Yeah. No matter what we're at, what no matter what title or level, right? Um, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, on a practical, you know, note, I, I mean, you, I mean, <clears throat> sure, those things can like, I agree with you. I'm like, if for, cause for me, like cars, it's not my thing. And so I love my car. Cause I'm like, it's paid off. I don't, I, I, the thought of like having to like have monthly payments and I'm like, I can't do it. But, um, you know, I think people who, who do too, it's just like that kind of stuff still does come at a cost too, you know? So it might make you happy, but then now you're like, well, now I do have to work maybe a second job because my one job can't afford this lifestyle that I Think I, you know, want or should have. But I mean, yeah, I mean, to your point, it's just hard because it just seems like, I don't know, the tension of like, we do live in such a great country in the sense that there are so many opportunities here that just aren't available in other places and you really can move up. And so in one sense, it feels kind of uh, like a missed opportunity and a waste not to take Mm -hmm. advantage of that. And then, you know, to your point social media, you just see people like, oh, gosh, they have it all. They have this beautiful home. They have their kids. And, like, I I don't know. It's hard not to – it's just hard. It's hard. It's hard. Um, But, like, you know, I think you started off the conversation talking about, like, you know, I think holistically, like, your life, you feel very fulfilled, like, a great partner, great marriage, great family, and, like, really fulfilled in your career. Like, I guess looking back in the last like, uh, 10 to 20 years, I, where do you, where do you think that, like, where did you sow your seeds in order to kind of get to the place that you are now? Like, where did you put your energy so that like, man, if I thought I, if I'm, when I get to the age that you are like, I would love to say those things too, but like, what, do, where do we need to focus our energies or where did you focus our energies to get to that place?
1: It's a good question. Uh, Only because I feel like in in some cases it was so out of my control. I mean, I can look back and say, oh, I intentionally did. I mean, I I would say my general approach now in life is something that probably threaded through the full career, which is like Mm. always be learning. Mm. So whether I take that back, always be learning and have something to show for it. So for example, if it's, learning a new skill, like have something to show for it. So whether it's like you start a social media handle around it, you have start a blog around it, you have like something to like show for what you, or you learn something on an online course and you have like a graduate certificate. To, because I think it's just easier to be able to document the things that you've learned for outside parties to like look and see, okay, these are, this is the progression of their path. Sure. Like I said, I mean, I worked part-time at a church. That should have been like a black hole from which I could never (laughs) recover professionally in my world. But I, you know, continue to look for areas and ways just because I'm like naturally inclined that way that I could um, help, that I could provide like any kind of structure, you know, apply corporate learnings to, to this organization in a way that would make sense. And then I documented it on my resume in a way that, could be translatable and received well by the audience that would be re- reading it. And so I di- I spent a lot of time on like my resume, not because people are reading every bullet, but I think it just helped my mind always be thinking about like, okay, how am I gonna package this, this experience I'm going through in a way that other people will understand and see as valuable, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's why I think in the windy path, I'm able to like connect the line and help someone understand why I'm, you know, here now is because um, there's always a through line of like, whether it's, you know, my value system or um, the way that I'm able to, you know, market or manage people that they see that that comes all the way through. And so they still feel like, oh, I've had this many years of experience in it, Mm. even though it feels like a very fractured resume otherwise, you know? Um, another thing that I do often, I'm, I'm a goal setter and <laughs> I do this with all my team frequently is I, you know, I have them and I have would have myself look say in ahead and say, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in two years? Like if I were to be looking for jobs at that time, what kinds of jobs would those be? And now like LinkedIn makes it so easy. Like I'd go like search it up on LinkedIn and I pull this job description that I'd look at the qualifications and the experience that they're looking for. And if, and I'd look at where I was and I'm like, oh, well, here's the gap, find a way to fill it, you know? And so it's like, that's a very just like practical way from a just pure career standpoint that I think mm. like. Over time, it's just been ingrained with me as part of a process. Mm. But that's because I felt like I really knew where I wanted to be in the future. And sometimes at that time, in that moment, you don't really know. And that's okay. Yeah. So then you can like set your goals like, where do I want to be as a person? You know, what do I want to accomplish like personally? And then you can set those goals as well. But um, yeah, I feel like that's kind of what drove and guided me as I was thinking through like what I would want to do, like even in my most desperate moments, like we were coming back from the state to the States and I was like, oh my God, I need a job. Um, I had very clear guidelines about what I would and would not accept, even though I knew we needed the money and like, mm. thank God it never got to that like ultimate desperation where I, yeah. I had to just get any job. Mm-hmm. But I was very clear about like, these are the kinds of jobs that I, I want and I'll accept a lower level. But I know like that this is the type of thing I want to be a part of
0: what were like, those
1: things like, oh like for profit business like i did not like i i tried my hand in not for profit whether religious or not and i'm like mm-hmm. this does not work for me because in part because my co-workers are not trained in the same kinds of processes that just work for me that i know help organizations do well yeah. you're always under-resourced in a way that quite frankly honestly mostly defeats the purpose of the entire org like you're so under-resourced you can't get there and um and I, I also knew that I was still at a, a stage of my career where I wanted to keep learning and that not-for-profits, unfortunately, do not provide that sort of an atmosphere. So it's like, that was like one example of a guideline. I, I wanted to be not for, uh, in a for-profit organization and I wanted to stick to one of two industries that I knew. It's like, I still had stuff to learn, but I didn't want to relearn another industry. So that was beauty or food and beverage, you know? So it's like, those were sort of the ways that I helped define, like I said, I'm, I know I've got a lot to learn, but I can't learn another industry on top of, like, the leadership right. skills that I want. To learn. Like, let me just, like, have a baseline of things that I know already, <laughs> and then I can spend the rest of the time learning the rest.
0: Mm. So. But what about personally? Where did personally, you, like, invest your energy so that, like, where you are today, you're there? I mean,
1: I I am natural workaholic. So personally, it was a matter of drawing lines to say, okay, I I cannot give my family and myself my leftovers anymore. So, you know, setting aside like goals for myself around like what I want to do physically from a working out and walks perspective, you know, um, from a dietary, like how healthy can I eat from spending time with my kids and just prioritizing them. Um, Some examples, I guess, is that I hesitate to give these examples because I'm not very good at abiding them by them at this moment <laughs> with my job. But it's like, I would set aside, like, I only work late, you know, like two nights a week, you know, the rest of the nights, we do like family game night, we do, you know, like just walks around the block, we like go play at the park together. On the weekends, I am pretty much even back then at the point in my career where I can't not work the weekends at all, but I would at least have one full day, like, Zero work, like I'm not touching it, so I can just really focus on whether it's family activities or like household errands, whatever. Just to not to have that mind space free, right? So, I think having to set boundaries and guidelines is it's hard for me because I am a natural workaholic, but it's been so fulfilling because you know I'm able to spend time with my family in ways that are meaningful, and um, one of the things. That helped me. It's always helpful for me when I kind of know where I want to go. But when we lived in Cambodia, you know, I mostly had peers that had kids that were my kids age, so young, but I was able to befriend and observe through the international school we were part of, through the um, neighborhood we were part of, families with older kids. So kids that were in high school, kids that were in college, they had the best relationship with their kids. And I was like, Mm. how? Share the secrets with me. That is amazing. And I'll never forget it. They were like, you have to develop relationships with them that are not, and I mentioned this before, but that are not just predicated on parent child, that are not just around what time are you going to be at home? Um, mm. do you have do you have your food? Did you sign this, you know, permission slip, blah, blah, blah. It has to be around like shared experiences where It's not the power dynamic, power structure of parent-child, but you come into that experience as maybe not equals, but as equal participants. So that is quite frankly, when I started like actively, okay, what things, and it allows you to listen to your kids as people, not just as your kids. Like, what things are they interested in? Let me just Mm. be a part of it. So for example... Our family as a whole loves the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We watch mm-hmm. all the movies together. We'll like go on opening night. We'll like talk about them, blah, blah, blah. That's not, I mean, I I do actually on the side love superhero stuff, but that's mm-hmm. not something that me and Albert, I think would have done had we not felt like this is a family thing, right? you know? And right. so like we can talk about conspiracy theories about like this character <laughs> and that character. And it's just fun to talk about. And it gives us a shared topic a shared Mm. relationship around something that is not just parent child yeah so like that's what I would do with those nights that I would set aside with the weekends that I would set aside Is like not just take care of them but like we would do things together that we had come to have shared experiences around right so I love that like for example we now do like Disney trips together we Mm um we love Top chef. And so like one of the things for every special occasion, we go to top chef restaurants and like, we get Mm. to like talk about it and we watch the show together. We watched amazing race together. Like I loved Harry Potter. So happy. My kids love Harry Potter. So we can like talk about those things. So yeah, we try to have, I think that is how I've tried to invest and spend my personal time with them. There's always, of course, plenty of parenting responsibilities, but I do try to catch myself. And like every once in a while, like stop and like, assess and be like, oh, I think too much of my time with like this one child, for example, has only been about parent-child. So mm-hmm. I'll try to, okay, like make a concerted intentional effort for the next month mm-hmm. to like, okay, let's let's have a mommy and me day and like yeah. you get a pick and like go shopping. We'll do whatever she wants yeah. to do, you know? So trying to have, I think that balance has helped a lot from a, a personal standpoint.
0: I love that approach. And you know what? It makes so much sense because I feel like that's just also how – humans are t- like any relationship is it's it's really hard to just have a relationship where like we're just looking at each other and like that's the connection it's like you need something to like bring you together and experience as individuals um beyond just the relationship itself um but i love that for yeah. um kids <laughs> i feel
1: like my um litmus test is how often do they text me about mm-hmm. non-parent things you know and so and and I love that like they'll wow. text me also like cat memes and like when Taylor Swift's <laughs> coming to concert and like because there are things that we all share that we enjoy mm-hmm. and that makes me really happy because I I do want a relationship with them when they're adults yeah but yeah. that's not possible if our you know for 18 years all we did was talk about like did you eat yet and yeah are you dressed right and stuff like that so mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah. I was going to say, I feel grateful for women, for moms, for parents now that I think there are many more um, like representation. We always talk about representation often from like an ethnic and race perspective, Yeah. but I think representation for people in this life stage is also so important. Yeah. Um I'm grateful because I think there's a lot of really great representation out there. You mm-hmm. know, when I was going through this, it just, it didn't exist. Like women did not rise to certain levels if they had kids. They mm-hmm. were always women who didn't get married or got married and had no kids. So mm-hmm. I just didn't see it as a possibility because mm-hmm. that was part of the reason it felt so like defeated. You know, it's like, this is yeah. just, I thought it could be the first, you know? <laughs> no. yeah. 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 You're gonna, you're gonna die. Um, and some, some of what changed my perspective, I didn't even think about this till just now, was that when I was at the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, I had a CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, who came in, who was badass. I mean, she was amazing, and she like just had everyone at like the C level, the board, investors, like super impressed. And she was like so human, and she had twin at the time, like ten year old kids. And a, a husband with a really demanding job. And so I was like, it's, I felt like she was like a unicorn. I think never seen one in real life. I'm like, wait, possible. And I think that really um, supercharged my dreams again, because up until that, I had kind of resigned myself. Like hey, we're back in the States. This is not going to be possible. I'm just going to like sit here and get my paycheck and be unhappy. Fine. But when I saw her that it was possible, it, it did give me. Uh, I I think, permission to dream again. And so that's what I think, my hope is for people now, that they can see people. It's more visible because of social media. It's just more, I think, it, it exists more <laughs> in general, that they can see um, not just women, like they can, that they're their stay-at-home dads, that there's people in kind of all areas that hopefully give them permission to dream, that they don't yeah. have to feel locked. A certain way of life.
0: So I mean, this is probably the cynical side of me, but when, you know, thinking about that CMO, I'm like, but gosh, something's got to give because I can't like being a CMO is no joke. And, you know, and like, how, how is she doing that and raising kids? And like, I don't know, it doesn't, it, I mean, I guess, yeah, for me too, it just, it doesn't seem possible to, you know, have it all or something because. Yeah. I yeah. Know. I mean, I think I think certain
1: stages in life, it is really hard to have it all. And, um, I, she was, she, it, it was crazy. Like I couldn't even, again, like the, the audacity, she's so badass. like she came in and like set her guidelines, which was like, I don't work Fridays. I oh. work this many hours. Like she literally set those guidelines, but because she was so good and she was so confident in what she brought to the table,
0: she, she was able to, yeah. Yeah.
1: That's and right. like, of course, I was not at that stage of my career then, but I, I definitely do feel more empowered now in the sense that like I know my worth. I know mm-hmm. what I bring to the table and that I know certain companies like absolutely need it. So mm-hmm. I am I do feel like more willing and able to like set those boundaries but it's not true of everyone you know and that's not true yeah. of everyone depending on their stage so um it's fair and i do that this is why i come back to it and again it's like i'm not political but like you need government <laughs> systemic change yeah to be able to support this whole group of people mm-hmm. that quite frankly would make your private sector a better place like we there right. are studies out there that show a more diverse Boards, more diverse management, more diverse employee bases, including both women and race, result in higher productivity Mm -hmm. as measured by every productivity metric, revenue, stock price, like, you know, everything. And so it's like, why don't we make it then easier? To make sure we have women in the workplace, to make sure we have diverse workplaces. No,
0: totally. But I feel like it's even – we can even distill it down to, you know, very like – forget like stock prices and IPOs and all those things. It's just like even in your day-to-day, it's kind of like to your story where, you know, where you were just – Again, not that you didn't love your kids, but you're like, I am not in my element. But like when you're in your element and you're doing your thing, you're energized. And then it like spills into all these other areas of your life, you know? So same as a company, it's like, hey, if it's like kind of a little bit more holistic, it just naturally is going to spill into... productivity and, like, happier employees and, like, you know, all those things, you know? Like, it makes you know. so much sense, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, but, honestly, otherwise, it's, like, just get through the years, like, the best you can, you know, with <laughs> as much of your sanity. Yeah. Um, make Try to make as many rational decisions as you can. Um, be willing to trade down on your lifestyle so mm-hmm. that you will have more flexibility and freedom later to, like, go back to work.
0: Right. Yeah. Um,
1: I mean, like, we made a decision to not live in the suburbs because there were more, like, work opportunities for me in L.A.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And we made a decision not to buy the big house, Mm -hmm. even though I really wanted one. (laughs) But because, like, we can't afford it in L.A. So we live in a little townhouse. Mm -hmm. But that's okay because it Mm -hmm. is afforded the flexibility, for example, to not – feel like shackled to our mortgage payments Mm -hmm. and it gives us the flexibility if we want to switch jobs or like, you know, do different things. Like we can do that. We don't feel so hold into this payment to a bank, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, That, that is so real. And I feel like that is something I experienced in my own life, too, where it's like, man, you know what, there are companies and places out there that are so toxic, and it really just drains your soul. And I just came to a point I was like, I never ever want to be in a position to like, have to stay at a terrible place because of, you know, my expenses or like my paycheck. And obviously, those are like real things and important things. But there is a high degree of control that we can have. And like, you know, thankfully if anything were to happen, it's like, I don't need to stay at this terrible place. Cause it, there's a cost, yeah. like there's always a cost to, to things. So yeah. To the
1: point, yeah. yeah. Right.
0: Um, well just to wrap things up, what would you tell your younger self?
1: Ah, oh, that is a good question to not worry so much. I, I, I think it goes back to the question you had earlier. It's, that moms in this stage feel like they've like derailed everything and they're defeated. They're like, what is the trajectory of my life now? And not to say that everything will always work out, but your life will work out. It just may not be along the path that you expected. Um, so I would just tell myself tonight not, worry quite as much, but just to mm. keep continuing trying to learn and enjoy the moments that I have. Um, but also maybe I would tell myself to be self-aware because I don't, I don't think I was that self-aware those years. I think I was very influenced by what, whether it was society or my parents or, you know, people around me telling me what was important. And I think if I had spent more time looking at myself and realizing, oh, actually, these are the things I value. These are the things I find important. Perhaps I would have been able to walk that path earlier Mm. or like not be so upset when my path didn't turn out the way I thought it should because everyone told me it should.
0: You know. All right. Well, this was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like, man, there's just like just the tip of the iceberg here. there's just so much you like, can share. She can go in a different way. <laughs> yeah. So, thank you so much
1: for guiding the discussion and the, these questions. Really, really thought provoking. And, gosh, I really, I, I wish I could lift people out of like the this i don't want to just say it's like sadness because it's not just an emotional thing but yeah like exactly what you said you, i want everyone to feel like they can just be on all cylinders and like just being excited like in every
0: moment of life but it's not always the case so more or less of these kinds of conversations i want to know what you think please leave us a review on apple Podcasts or spotify and let me know who or what you want to talk about next Until next week, see ya!